You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. This is a new podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back to another fine episode of Distilling Theology, your favorite reformed podcast. Clearly. Uh, Blake, how have you been over this last week? Oh, you know, you could say time flies. It, it it almost feels like, you know, more than one week has passed. It's crazy. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's been two, three, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Time dilation is super weird, man. Don't, don't, uh, don't try to travel to the past. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's true. <laughs> warn, warn your past self about uh, 2020, the murder hornets. Uh, but yeah, so we are still... Proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasts. Thank goodness. A, <laughs> I know they haven't, they haven't booted us yet. Uh, this is a uh, mega feed of podcasts that present uh, doctrinally sound podcasts from a reformed perspective. These include Reformed Brotherhood, Fast God Stuff, Sipping on Theology, Reformed Pilgrims, Steady Anchor, and the Bobcast. And uh, all of us got eliminated in uh, <laughs> a. Uh, uh, podcast bracket, but we we lasted much longer than I expected. And losing Elite to the eight, white man. horse in, come on, we did yeah, it right. Losing to the white horse in is not the worst thing that could no. have happened. So, uh, which I've been binging <laughs> listening to White Horse in this week because uh, yeah. Mike Horton and company are amazing, and it's really cool to hear. If we had lost to like Reform Brotherhood or something, that would have been totally <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> which of the Reform uh, broadcasts made it the furthest from? I think it was, no, it was, it was us and uh, reform pilgrims because reform pilgrims got taken out by renewing your mind, which is RC Sproul's program. So yeah, it's over. Yeah. Hey, you and know what? Got, For the amateurs, we, we like, right. we did well. I we am did. pleased. Made it to elite eight. And, and we actually put up a pretty decent fight yeah. against White Horse in for a while. The, I mean, we were tied for us for like the first 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, good stuff. Yeah, uh, but anyways, obviously, uh, we have our friend Eric back, and we're going to be Woo-hoo. tasting a bourbon tonight uh, from the distillery. The distillery where he that works. shall not be named. <laughs> he who shall not be named. The distillery uh, that doesn't take an official position on theology. That's <laughs> we'll say that. so. that's I feel like that's <laughs> most distillery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but we, we're uh, welcome back to the show, Eric. We're really thrilled to have you join us again for Glad another back. another time sipping around. How you doing this week, man? Uh, it's been a crazy week. Um, good, but yeah, a lot going on at home and work and, uh, it's, what day is it? It's a Saturday. So yeah, happy that we could finally schedule some more time to get together. Yeah, man. I always love sitting around and, uh, sipping whiskey with, with the guys talking theology. I mean, this is like literally what the podcast was birthed from was we were just doing this and then we're like, well, let's just record the conversation and see if anyone listens. So to all of you listening, Thank you for your support. <laughs> the radio voice gets me. It's, uh, it's, that's one I, thing. Yeah. My buddy who, who I was talking to the other day who, who called me to just thank me for doing, thank us for doing the podcast because he's really enjoying it. Um, 
he he too mentioned your voice like everyone else <laughs> it was great listen it's not something i could just uh i can't even i can't even i tried to do like the the higher pitch soft voice and it just it's just not working right now Anyways, Welcome uh, to distilling theology. <laughs> that was good. You even got the the rasp in there too. That's impressive. That like that like I haven't gotten a proper night's sleep all week. Sound. <laughs> oh, we did get a puppy. By the way, speaking of no proper night's sleep, so since we last talked, we got a we got a puppy. So Dude, it's yeah. kind of like having a hairy baby in the house. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, Puppies do you are give great. Diapers too, or no? It, we just let it, you know, pee all over the house. There was a family in our church uh, for years who would keep, like, when they'd have uh, baby goats, they'd bring uh-huh. the goats in the house during the winter, if they, if the goats were born during the winter, to keep them warm. Uh-huh. And they would literally walk around with diapers on. And I was oh. like, this is bizarre. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, it should I, be I'm, in your house. <laughs> should be I'm on sure your dinner this, plate. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure this goes beyond the the subject matter of this this podcast. But my wife, when she was growing up, she had a dog, a female dog that was not fixed. And whenever she was in heat, they would put a diaper on her. And so she'd walk around the house with a diaper on. Yeah. So that's great. It's amazing. I love it. Blake's like, can we move on, please? <laughs> uh, so tonight, <laughs> uh, last week, we were really thrilled to have Eric on. We got kind of into a, a big, like grand sweeping overview of the process of distillation and, uh, this week, we're going to be a little bit more on the theology side, so we're really excited about that. Uh, but as we get into that, Eric, what uh, what can you tell us a little bit about this bourbon as we start to uh, get some smell and aroma from it? So this is our small batch That's bourbon. Something. It's very similar to our rye in the sense that it also is Aspen Stave finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's a different recipe. It's a bourbon recipe. So our bourbon is uh, 80% corn, very high corn content. 19% malted rye and 1% malted barley. So that's the, uh, the recipe of the bourbon we're drinking. Like I said, Aspen stave finished, um, just like the rye was. So there's going to be some similar notes between the two. And all, obviously, you know, we're using, uh, the same yeast made in the same facility, all those things. So, um, definitely some similarities, but it's, it's gonna, um, you know, I'd love to hear what you guys get first before I start giving you my tasting notes. So I mean, I'm getting, I, I always tend to get something of an apple note from, um, from bourbons and ryes. Uh, and I'm also getting like, like sawdust, but not in a bad way. Like when you would visit your, your woodworking uncle or grandfather and they'd have like their garage propped open and be working on mm-hmm. something and you get like that kind of a sawdust smell that just. Listen, that's, that's an insult to those of us who had grandfathers who didn't woodwork. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I don't know any grandfather who doesn't. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm getting actually a little bit of cinnamon. Yeah. Maybe almost, some cornbread even. I was going to say, I almost get like um, some kind of, like there's a little little bit of like an orange um, <clears throat> marmalade or peel or something kind of, there's something tangy and almost citrusy mm-hmm, in there, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not super like aggressive or bright. It's just kind of. Hang so, out there. So like the as, I'm su- as I'm smelling it, it almost smells like a like a breeze on a on a fall day. <laughs> like uh, I don't know. I think part like of that decay, might be the, rotting yeah, leaves, like rotting yeah, leaves. Like, no, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it might be just the the day that we're having today, though, because it's like it's, it was like forty degrees here 
uh, it was cold. It was like nice cold though. It was like really nice out. And we had venison like in a roast with like, it was just a very fall meal. <laughs> and now I'm like smelling this. I'm like thinking of fall. I'm just like, mmm, this smells like fresh trees. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's really good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything you guys said, uh, definitely, you know, the cinnamon, that, that oak, um, even pininess that some of those are mm-hmm. similar notes that you get across a lot of the whiskeys that we make, um, with the bourbon, it has those spicy notes, those, those earthy kind of notes. Um, I feel like it pulls in a little black pepper and herbal tea and maybe a hint of cola on the nose. And then those, there's some more fruitiness to it than our rye, a little less spiciness. And, and Blake, you were, you were touching on like orange marmalade, some citrus. I definitely get a little bit of lemons Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, plums, plum skins and a a hint of banana peel. You know, I'd get a little hint of that in there and then it's got a little bit more of the, um, caramel and vanilla notes that our rye doesn't have as much. The rye that we tasted last time has maybe a little more toffee or hints of maple syrup or something. So they're very similar though. Um, as far as, you know, you can tell there, they got similar DNA, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but then the, the bourbon kind of moves more towards a fruity, um, caramely, uh, type note than the rye does. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely see once you said it, that earthiness, um, I was going to, I was kind of thinking, which now I'm seeing between the, the pine and the oak, um, and the, uh, the pine and the oak and the earthiness, I was somewhere in there coming up with this almost like musky, like leather working, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, sawdust smell, but that's kind of that earthy tone. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how our, how we use language to describe certain especially something like smell that's so weirdly subjective and yet we all kind of know like what gingerbread smells like yeah but it's also like it's so hard like it's kind of hard to explain scent it's such an interesting it's hard to explain it and it's it's because we all associate you know different smell yes we've all smelled gingerbread but there's no gingerbread in this whiskey there's no actual Uh, fruit in this whiskey or anything like that. So when we're describing those notes, they're really just flavor compounds that have kind of Mm -hmm. latched onto each other uh, that come from all different aspects of the distilling uh, process. And Mm. it tricks our mind into thinking that we're smelling or tasting something that's not actually there. And when we want to be intentional about what we're tasting, we want to put towards something like this smells like bourbon. It smells like whiskey. But if we want to go deeper, we have to try to associate these smells with something else we're familiar with. Um, Mm. And so that's where you almost have to be creative. Um, There's an aspect of, of creativity in trying to pull out what you're smelling and how to describe it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's what you might describe as um, orange marmalade. I might get more like lemon, lemon marmalade, Um, something like that. You know, we might describe, uh, spices slightly differently or, or something, but tastes also like on the ch- same thing. That- tastes like chalk, <laughs> dirt. No. No. Chalk and- <laughs> tastes like chicken because everything. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's get into it, and then I'd love to ask you some questions about where those flavors come from. But sure, first, yeah. I got I got I got to, I got to <clears throat> taste this. Cheers, okay. gentlemen. Cheers. That was weak. <laughs> oh wow! So right off the bat. I get that caramel and honestly that lemony orange marmalade citrus note is kind of like 
I'm feeling it like on the sides of my mouth. Mm -hmm. Definitely like some cinnamon or nutmeg, some kind of a baking spice. I was going to say, there's almost like a toffee with it. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely picked up on the cinnamon. Almost a little bit of maple, like maple syrup. Yeah, I was thinking something like molasses or maple, somewhere in that yep. kind of darker. I mean, that was just one one quick sip, but um, mm -hmm. that's like a cool experience because yeah. sometimes with with um, craft distillation, I have found there are products that are usually they're younger. They're usually just trying to like get it out so that they can get into production on the stuff they really want to do, but they got to get some return on investment to do that stuff. Um, and the whiskeys are just harsh and oaky and they don't really taste like anything besides bear like the oak barrel or mm -hmm. alcohol burn um and like i'll i'll drink it but i don't enjoy it this was like a an experience this was like a whole yeah there's a lot happening there and and bottle that's very proof, so it's not uh yeah it's not weak sauce either very very well yeah, it is super mouthwatering <laughs> yeah yeah justin i i mean i agree with all your guys yeah the tasting notes you guys are throwing out there um but yeah, the mouthwatering part of it. I, I love the texture of our whiskey. Yeah. And it is it this one's bottled at a hundred proof. And so it's it's a pretty substantial whiskey. It's it's got a viscosity and oiliness to it, but it's also yeah. lively, almost almost effervescent. That finish lingers and mm -hmm. the spices are what really linger after all the fruitiness subsides. It still yeah. kind of dances on your tongue. It's got a fantastic texture for uh, you know, hundred proof bourbon. Yeah dances on your tongue now is this <laughs> um is this one age stated or is it a blend of older and younger um so we actually age primarily in small barrels um ten, oh, okay. 10 gallon size barrels right now and and we also uh age some stuff in 30 gallons but we're aging everything a minimum of one year right now so it's actually right. also a young whiskey um, really yeah. I mean, it's, it's a minimum of one year. Yeah. Uh, this small batch can have some stuff that's slightly older than that in there, sure. but it's not age state in the sense that it says it on the uh, front sure. of the label. Well, okay. So that's something very interesting to me because I've had American whiskeys. Uh, you know, we talked about this last week with, with the, the difference between aging in Scotland and aging in Kentucky, for example, mm -hmm. um, with the, the extremities of the temperature differences and, and the climate differences. But <clears throat> Usually, just rule of thumb that I have personally experienced is when I have a whiskey that's under two years old, I usually don't love it as far as like the, the average kind of thing, you know, or mm -hmm. that's under four years old. Like I, I'm typically bottled and bond is something I like, even though I don't always love the expression per se. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a consistency and kind of a trustworthiness in four years old, hundred proof. Like there's just a certain sure. I know it's going to be at least a certain bar of quality. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually really surprising. I thought this was older. It doesn't well, drink like a. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we, we talked about last week, we've won uh, numerous awards too. We've beaten yeah. out uh, some larger distilleries uh, for some well big awards. There's some is... awards on the, on the thing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Hiding the, hiding the brand, yeah. but there's even yeah. more of it. Oh yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. So you guys are familiar with straight, the, the designation straight whiskey, right? Yep. So if you see straight bourbon or straight rye on the label, but it doesn't have an age statement, it doesn't say anything about age anywhere on it. It's at least four years old or older. Um, if it's a straight whiskey, but it's under four years, they do have to put some sort of age statement on there. Uh, mm -hmm. Our bourbon is actually right now, at least technically not a straight bourbon. And so it doesn't say straight bourbon on the label. You yeah. can still be a bourbon and not be a straight bourbon. We meet all the other requirements to be a straight bourbon. You know, we're not adding any artificial coloring. Uh, our whiskey doesn't go into the barrel above 125 proof. We're using brand new uh, American white oak barrels, <clears throat> charred barrels each time we age, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we meet all the requirements, except 
we're not aging a minimum of two years with everything. Mm. And so because of that, we can't call ourselves a straight bourbon. Um, but yeah, when you see straight bourbon on the label, it does, like you were saying with bottled and bond, Blake, it usually is yeah. a pretty good signifier of some sort of quality. Um, sure. You know, but there's, you know, I've had some straight bourbons that are fantastic and straight bourbons that are not great. Um, you know, yeah, so yeah, for sure, it, you know, our, I would say our whiskey is unique in that we're aging in small barrels for a shorter period of time uh, than mm-hmm. the average whiskey out there. And yet we can achieve something that is fantastic mouthfeel, very complex and very bold in flavor. Um, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, that's really like, I'm still yeah. kind of blown away yeah. by that. Because again, I've <laughs> had really some of good. those, you know, and to your point, I've had bottled and bond that's, uh, you know, four years, hundred proof, grain for the same growing season, all of these requirements. And um, it's okay. Like I use it as a mixer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's not something that I would just sip on its own, but this, like, I I'm sad that I don't have more of it. Cause yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is yeah. great. Uh, so so well, that brings up kind of a, a cool question and <clears throat> t- twofold question, I guess one is where do the Aspen staves fit into that process? If you could remind mm-hmm. us of that. And then two, um, how does, you know, essentially mashed up corn, that's been vape, you know, dis- superheated, you know, fermented, superheated, and condensed a few times, and then put in a, put in put in a barrel. How does that develop flavors of apple and orange and caramel? Like, you know, how do we get from mm-hmm. here to that? And obviously, sure. like you said, it's these flavor yeah. molecules. But like, <laughs> how does that happen? Because I've also had stuff where that definitely doesn't happen, and all I taste is oak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and really quick, you know, yeah. you would taste nothing but oak if we aged it much longer in those small barrels. So with small mm. barrels, you have greater yeah. surface area to of the wood to spirit ratio. Mm. So um, that's one of those reasons why we don't want to age our whiskey past two years in the size of barrels that we're aging. We have aged our whiskey two years in those barrels, and it's been great. But um, we do run the risk of over-oaking it at that point. And like I said, we've also been working with some larger barrels and some other exciting projects that we that were you know, experiments and stuff. But the Aspen uh, actually comes from here in Colorado. The owner of our distillery has got a buddy with some some property, some mountain property with a bunch of aspens everywhere on it. And uh, if if anybody listening to this doesn't know what aspens are, look them up online. They're just a beautiful. They they grow in these big groves. There's these beautiful white tree trunks, uh, slender with these leaves that turn this bright yellow in the fall. Um, <clears throat> so they're they're all over Colorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, the owner's buddy he chops down some aspen trees when we need them to. He cuts them up into these these small staves, which are just basically these lengths of wood that we'll then toast ourselves at the distillery. And then the last few weeks of the aging, we'll drop a few of those toasted Aspen staves into the barrel before it's ready to be harvested and bottled. And so it's, it's like that makers 46 or the uh, makers private select that you guys have had before where um, they're just taking different staves, either from different woods or different toastings um, or chars on them. And they're, they're dropping them in the barrels towards the uh, latter part of the aging process to create different uh notes to add to the whiskey so yeah yeah, that's that's the aspen um as far as all the other yeah as far as all the other flavors um i mean so we're talking about fruity notes uh generally fruity notes are going to be coming from esters that come from fermentation from the yeast so the type of yeast you're using to ferment your your mash or your wort um, it's going to impart different flavors. Sometimes you're going to get more floral notes. Sometimes you're going to get more fruity notes. 
Um, those generally come from the yeast, uh, but then also the type of still that you have, the shape of still, is going to affect how many of those esters make it through in the distillation process. So a scotch that has a really floral characteristic to it, um, like Glenmorangie, they're going to have taller columns on their stills because uh, a lot of the other flavor compounds are heavier and they're going to fall away during the distillation process and they're not going to make it all the way up that, that tall column. <clears throat> but floral uh, esters will, the ones that give you those floral notes anyway. Yeah. And so uh, you're going to get flavors from the yeast, but then how you distill it or what type of still or equipment you have is also going to affect how prominent those flavors are. Um you know, something like vanilla or caramel uh, are going to come more from the barrel itself and mm. the char, or the toast on the barrel, um, whether it's a new barrel or not a new barrel. Uh, you know, you I think, Blake, you said something about cornbread, you know, uh, when we were tasting. Oh, the whiskey. Yeah. I think you said, or was that you just? Yeah, yeah. You. Just, yeah. and uh, so sometimes the actual flavor of the grain is also going to shine through. So mm. what you were picking up as cornbread was probably the uh, the actual you know, new make spirit, that freshly distilled spirit aged in the wood and it wasn't fully covered up, which you don't want to do. You want, you want to let some of those, those grains shine through in the flavor. Um, yeah, I mean, you got, what am I forgetting? I'm forgetting a lot of stuff. You guys, what, what, what other flavors are you curious about where they come from in the, like spices, for example, um, generally come from the barrel and the toast or char level, how long it's aged in the barrel. A lot of times, uh, our, our tongue and our, our, olfactory senses will pick up on astringency and oak tannins and it'll interpret them as different spices and again this all is dependent upon what flavor compounds also known as as congeners um, are going into that barrel and then as it's sitting there and aging and oxidizing in that esterification process that i think i brought up last time that process of esterification uh, is those esters floating around in that solution in there and uh, the, the ones that go naturally into the barrel and then the one that the whiskey's extracting from the barrel. And then they're linking up together as that whiskey breathes and oxygen comes into the barrel. They're going to link up and make new and different flavor compounds when they link together. So <clears throat> uh, we've it, touched yeah. on this a little bit before, Blake, <laughs> the idea that when uh, just just how how much our brain plays into the idea of what we're tasting. You know, sure. we talked about like as soon as you sometimes will read a certain uh a description of what you're tasting all of a sudden you're like oh yeah i definitely taste that now um like yeah. when eric said that uh, there's a little bit of cola i was like all of a sudden i was like man i can taste that now like i'm, I'm getting that yeah. so it's just an interesting how subjective our palate can be while at the same time also being somehow very universal mm-hmm. it's well, just I mean, an interesting combination not not to totally throw us off the rails here for five seconds but that does <laughs> that does bring up an interesting kind of philosophical thought uh, that I'm not going to diverge on too far other than to say this, like I look up at the sky and I say, the sky is blue and you look up the sky and say, the sky is blue. And we see the color of the sky at the same time. And we both agree that that color is blue. And kind of Mm -hmm. the same thing happens with our smell and our taste, right? It's like, okay, we agree to call this thing uh, that we're even though the potential is there that we possibly see it differently. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's a whole like crazy theory. But at the same time, we've kind of like what, we both agreed to call this thing blue and we mm-hmm. both know what we mean when we say blue, uh, even if what we're actually seeing is a little bit different. And so the same thing kind of goes with those flavors, right? Like, which makes me wonder uh, how they tell if somebody's colorblind. 
Oh, yeah. My, my wife's colorblind, <laughs> as is my son. So oh. <laughs> this is yeah. this philosophical conversation is actually a very real thing in our household. Wow. Over awesome. what they perceive what color to be. And yeah, do we see the same thing or do we not see the same thing? So, yeah. Oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah. But then you also have like a lot of subjective, I mean, mm-hmm. kind sure. of uh, springboarding off that, but you have subjective preferences when you taste whiskey. You have certain sure. people that will rate a certain whiskey higher mm-hmm. uh, than another person might rate that same whiskey just because of what their you know um, preferences are when it comes to what they're tasting. For example... I don't like uh, black licorice or dill. I don't like pickles mm-hmm. um, it, in food. But if I'm having an MGP rye and it's got some dill, like pretty strong dill notes and maybe some anise and black licorice notes in there, um, I don't mind it. I kind of like that in my whiskey. There's a time and a place or perfect example, even better example, Isla whiskeys. You know, mm. you have an Ardbeg 10 and you're tasting tar and you're tasting iodine and band-aids and you're, <laughs> yeah. all this medicinal stuff that are that, that people talk about. Yeah. And uh, and most people are like, oh, that's that sounds awful. Why would you drink that? I'm like, well, I don't want to go like asphalt. But man, when I taste, you know, like wet asphalt in my Isla whiskey, I love it. Like yeah. it fits like I want to to drink that there. <laughs> but there's a time and a place for it. So, yeah. yeah. That's great. That's so funny. So speaking of segues. <laughs> were, we, were we speaking of segues? No, we weren't. Our segues are always amazing. That's the best part. 100%. Uh, so speaking of subjective and objective truths about Ooh. whiskeys. Oh. <laughs> That's almost uh, as smooth as this whiskey. <laughs> uh, so you're a Christian. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're here on the podcast uh, with us. Um, not that we wouldn't have a non-Christian on to talk about uh, spirits and stuff uh, <laughs> of the distilled kind anyway. Um, what about the Holy Spirit? <laughs> definitely we'll talk about that spirit. Um, tell us a little bit about your history, where you came from, how you became a Christian, and uh, maybe how somehow you ended up on the, uh, the, the more accurate side of things. Uh, I mean, being a Baptist. Uh, <laughs> a Reformed Baptist. Oh, yeah, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if anybody you know cares, who, who am I? Um, but we all got stories, and I actually love hearing other people's testimony. So, Listen, uh, we, I, <laughs> we care. We cool, care. Cool. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I was raised in a Catholic house. Both my mom and my dad were raised in large Catholic families. And they, from what I understand, stopped going to church before I was born. Uh, I was the firstborn of, of two. And then when I was born, they were, they were kind of like, well, we have a kid now. I guess we got to start going back to church and bring them to church because that's just <laughs> what you do, right? You know, that's how you raise a kid. So give them religion. Um, so I went to Catholic church, had my first communion. Um I think around the time I was 12 or 13, somewhere in that area, um, stopped going. You know, it was one of those things where my parents had to fight me every Sunday and I didn't want to go. I didn't enjoy it. I wasn't a believer. Um, and so just kind of did my thing in high school, ended up becoming a Christian at that point. Um, pretty, you know, in a nutshell, pretty standard thing you might hear about in high school, had some friends, got invited to youth group, uh, kept going back, and the Holy Spirit regenerated me. Uh, you know, there was that time in high school where you're just passionate and emotional about everything. And as they say, I was, you know, you're on fire for the Lord. My theology was was horrible. 
<clears throat> well, not even horrible. I just, I just didn't understand anything. Yeah. It's not that I was wrong. I just didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, hopped around from church to church for a long time after high school. Uh, my wife and I, we were part of a, an emergent church, house church movement. We went to an Episcopal church for a while. We went to a couple other big name churches in Denver uh, most of them all pretty liberal in their understanding of scripture. And, you know, we, the reason we were going was like, wow, the music's really good here. And then we'd find it, you know, our friends would invite us to another church and, you know, it was some other thing like, oh, we really like these people here. Oh, we really like the preaching at this place because it's so emotional. It gets me all worked up or whatever. So we, <laughs> it worked. We, we call the Episcopals, uh, we call the Episcopals <laughs> diet Catholics. Diet Catholics. <laughs> That's yeah. Hey, don't hate on the uh, the uh, reformed Anglicans because <laughs> despite I'm not it wasn't, on them, <laughs> but the, the Episcopals though that's yeah. a, that's a mode. Not these yeah, ones. Yeah. Not the ones. That, not the ones that I know. Anyways, it's, anyway, yeah. Um, so my wife and I had our first daughter in 2012, and then we were pregnant with our second child in 2013. And lost the child to miscarriage. And we, you know, our theology was just not at a place that we could derive comfort from it. We didn't understand the word. Uh, we didn't understand um, God's sovereignty in what we experienced. <clears throat> and so it it really shook us. You know, prior to that, actually, I was even toying around with leaving the faith. I, I uh a, a friend of a friend was over at a party and he was this militant atheist guy. And, um, we were talking, he found out as a Christian, then he started bringing up all the supposed contradictions in scripture and how Jesus was just like Horus or some other, uh, you know, modeled after some other Greek God. And, and I, I'd never heard this stuff before and it just, it rocked my world. And so this was, you know, a few months prior to all of, you know, us losing our baby. And, so I was already shaken. And then when this tragedy happened, um, I was, I was starting to kind of come around to this idea of no, God has to exist. It was this whole, uh, presuppositionalism in my mind, but I didn't have a word for it, but it, you know, philosophically God must exist kind of thing. Mm. So, um, but I, I still wasn't sure who he was. And when mm. we lost our baby, it was very much, okay, God, I believe you exist, but what kind of God are you? Who are you? Um, yeah. why would you let something like this happen? And, um, I, I'm not going to say my wife took it harder than me, but it, it, it affected her longer because we had a, a couple, uh, this, these friends that we met, uh, in God's, you know, providence, he, he introduced us to them maybe six months before all this happened and they were reformed and, uh, they started kind of coming alongside of us. We started becoming good friends. And so mm -hmm. the husband, he and I would start hanging out and he would be speaking this truth into my life. And, um, he gave me RC Sproul's book, what is reformed theology and another buddy, uh, of mine who I met through him also, uh, introduced me to James White. And I started listening to the dividing line. This was all back in 2013 and, um, started having these conversations about a sovereign God who, who has purpose in, mm. in everything, his purpose behind his decree. And it's to bring him glory and to bring good for, for those um, who are his and started seeing, you know, it, it didn't make it easier, but it gave it meaning. And all of a sudden 
scripture opened up. I'm sure you guys know what that's like. You know, you mm-hmm. learn the doctrines of grace, you learn the five solas, you actually have uh, words to put to these things, cut to these concepts, and then yeah. you're starting to read scripture. And it just, it opens up in a way that it never had before. And so for me, that, that's, that's what brought it about. It was, it was a pretty easy sell, so to speak on my buddy's part, because, (laughs) you know, I was, I was, I was hurt and I needed, it needed an answer. And man, like God really spoke to me through his word and through my friend and through, you know, Mm -hmm. R.C. Sproul's book and James White and all these people that I was listening to. And so it brought me this, this immense comfort. And it's not that I got over it quickly, but I accepted this idea of Mm -hmm. God being totally sovereign, completely sovereign. Um, I accepted it readily. I was, I was ready for it. I was thirsty for it. And my wife, it actually took her maybe a year after me to really accept it because she was still hurting. I I was in my cage stage, just fresh in my cage stage. And, and, you know, I I have a wife who's, who's struggling with, with losing a child and, and I'm just wanting to bring her comfort and I'm wanting to talked to her about God's sovereignty and she just wasn't wanting to hear it, but I kept pushing it. And so that was a real fun year for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, God, God worked in her heart. And, and so this was, you know, into 2013, early 2014 around that time and started going to a church in Denver where, you know, my buddy who introduced me to all these ideas where they went and, you know, the rest is kind of history. Um, but that's kind of where we, we got to where we're at. So that's awesome. Oh Sorry, it was long, but no, no that's man, that's significantly oh. more profound than I was anticipating. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, with with your preface, like you're like, ah, I don't know, like that's because because and I and I say this because a lot of times I've heard people caricature this view of God's sovereignty as being either, um, you know, like people will always turn to the tragedies in life as an excuse to to say no 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 god can't be sovereign in the way that you're saying he is and and in his purpose if these things are happening and yet for you god used this terrible pain and and difficult time to help you to see his sovereignty Mm -hmm. and his goodness in the midst of suffering and i love the way you put it that it, it wasn't a that it wasn't like it just made everything go away. Like you still had the emptiness and the hurt and this and the and the mourning, but there was a purpose because there's a good God behind mm-hmm. every. I think it was a Piper sermon where he said something about, um, you know that it there is comfort even in this suffering and and what because it's not a meaningless evil mm-hmm. that's just randomly befalling us. You know, to quote some atheists at the the behest of a an indifferent and cold universe, right? Mm-hmm. It's, we have a loving father who's sovereign. And even though we don't understand and mm-hmm. we mourn and we're told to mourn and, and there are times of, of suffering yet at the same time, we know even in that God is still good and he's still working. What is Romans? Mm-hmm. He works right. all things for good to yeah. those who love him. And, and it's like, and it, oh. and it builds up for us an eternal weight of glory. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And as Peter, as Peter puts it, you know, this uh, is our faith being tested by fire you know yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. he's Preach. uh god oh. is purifying our faith and this was you know my wife and i we were christians before this but we we just we weren't living it and mm. we didn't it was very different right we were very cold yeah. uh, and distant sure. immature yeah. christians and it was through this trial that god 
strengthened our faith by leaps and bounds. I mean, we hit a huge yeah. growth spurt, so to speak, in our, mm-hmm. our growth in the faith. And then, you know, uh, my wife actually in 2017 was diagnosed with a very life-altering, uh, deadly uh, autoimmune disease that we've had to live with for for years now. And that's been a challenge, but I couldn't imagine going through this now um, without this understanding of God being sovereign, God having his... Um, severe mercy that he gives us to grow our faith and, and to yeah. love us that, that these trials themselves that he gives us are a way through which he does love us. And so, mm. um, it's, it's not just the one trial that we've seen, but we have seen more and I yeah. expect to see even more, you know, yeah. as we all will. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I can, I can relate. I mean, <laughs> Blake knows he's walked with me this past couple of years, but, um, 2019 in particular, but 2017 through 2019 was really hard for me. I walked through um, some pretty pretty tough stuff uh, in, in, in my life. You know, I ended up getting divorced uh, against my will, and it was hard. Um, but it was that leaning into God's sovereignty. It, I, I couldn't have possibly imagined doing it without understanding God for who he is, mm-hmm. um, trying to walk through that with any other any other God <laughs> would not have been something that I don't think I would have been capable of. And and so leaning into that, um, like you said, it's like growth spurts. It's like refining fire. You know, we, I was pushed, I was like shoved into God's arms uh, in a way that just, I, I understood his mercies in ways that I never knew I could. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I can't believe I started this discussion. I don't have a Bible within reach of me, but I want to read to you guys one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. passages. Bro, let, me, yes. let me go grab it really quick. Hold Please on. do. So yeah, this this is a passage that I'm sure everyone is familiar with. Um, so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Woo. Yes. That among many other (laughs) passages, of course, like Romans, uh, Romans eight, the whole latter half of Romans eight, all that have been great comforts. Mm. And, you know, they weren't as comforting before, before, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to understand scripture in this way. So, yeah. Well, I love, it's amazing. Um, this kind of gets to what we were talking about, Justin, with a special revelation and what we'll pick up again next week that God's word has everything we need to be completed, to yes. become a completed person. Yeah. Everything we need. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time to rejoice and there's a time to mourn. There's a time for these other things. Yeah. And 
the word of God, you know, I, I was just listening to speaking of white horse and I was just listening to them <laughs> talk about this, uh, about the scripture and the way that people misread and misapply and twist the text of scripture where they, they'll read it either totally abstract. And, you know, when it says, um, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, they're like, but actually, you know, they start to they start to allegorize yeah. everything. Or the other extreme of fundamentalism, where it it's it's lit, literalistic reading, where it's like, well, no, but the 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 moon's going to turn to blood, and and you start to <laughs> nitpick a little verse without any context yeah. for for the for the genre, and you don't read. Um, and and what uh, what these guys were getting at, and it's also echoed in. I've been listening to Mike Horton's Pilgrim Th- Theology on uh, Audible, and he talks about this there as well, that um, the Bible is like, you know, where it speaks clearly, it's authoritative. Like if it explicitly states something, then, you know, that's not necessarily directly related to salvation, then like, obviously that's the, that's the truth. Um, but on the flip side, the main point of the text of scripture isn't to be a science textbook and to tell us how the earth moves through the heavens uh, in relation to other planets. Like that's not the main point of the text of scripture. The point is God's covenantal relationship with his people and his mm-hmm. salvific acts of redemption in history yeah, mm-hmm. and his self-revelation to us. Uh, and to find this, like the, the text of scripture is, is peppered at, through and through with this kind of comfort of hope that and what I love about it is it's the exact opposite of the prosperity gospel that says, mm-hmm. no, God's will is always for you to be healed. And if you don't get healed, then you don't have enough faith and you're not, you know, trusting him enough and you're not this yeah. enough. You're not giving enough. Right. But but yet we see here that's not what the apostles and what the prophets say. They they say there's suffering, there's trials, there's struggle. Yet the hope that awaits and the, the glory of God and salvation is so much greater. Anyways, yeah. I just little tangent yeah. there, but. Oh. Well, why you know, <laughs> I was thinking of the prosperity gospel and then I was picturing Peter being crucified. Uh, whereas church history has him being crucified upside down, this idea of right. like, well, why wasn't he healed? You know, come on. <laughs> it's right. just craziness. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the hope that you bring up, Blake, and, and how it differs from the prosperity gospel, this, what I just read from Peter, this is the hope that we have. It says that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and yes. unfading, kept in heaven for you, not here, it's mm. not about prosperity mm. here. The hope that we have that is <laughs> imperishable, undefiled, and unfading is kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Mm. And so our hope is not here. Mm. Uh, I mean, we, we, we get a taste of that. We get a taste of heaven <laughs> like here. <laughs> yeah, we get a taste of that here, especially, you know, on the Lord's Day being mm. gathered with the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there was there was a, a man uh, who was murdered at our church and one of the most beautiful times of worship and one of the most tangible tastes of heaven. I think most of us in this in our church experienced was uh, we gathered together. Uh, I think it was a Saturday night, if I remember right, the day after he he was murdered. And his wife was there. She showed up and she spoke words of encouragement to the body. And we all sang and we worshiped God. And it was Whoa. unreal. Um, yes. But but 
if we're looking for our hope here, we are going to be sorely disappointed because our hope is not in Christ because if Christ is our hope, he's not here, though he rules and reigns over uh, the earth now. He is in heaven seated at the right hand of father. If our Mm. hope is Christ, it's with Christ. It's where he is. So um, we need that perspective in our daily trials. My man is preaching. That sermon was free. (laughs) (laughs) My man is preaching. And uh, by the way, uh, I think with that single verse from Peter, uh, is this the, what is this, 2020? So what is the the saying? Uh, I think that means the prosperity gospel is canceled. (laughs) Or hashtag canceled. Canceled prosperity gospel. Uh, But seriously, like that, I I love the way you, you, like that's, that's reformed exegesis. You look at the text in its context, what it's saying in the scope of redemptive history. And you see Peter's very clearly telling us by inspiration of the spirit, it's not here and now there's signs and there's, there's symbols, there's shadows of it. There are, Mm -hmm. there are covenant blessings that are available. Right. What do we have in the Lord's prayer? Like your will on earth as it is in heaven, right? There there are things that we can grasp and that we can implore uh, while we're here. Um, like you said, the Lord's Day is a great example of that. Mm. But that's always, you know, I, that's exactly. the, the best criticism I've seen uh, to this false gospel is it's an over-realized eschatology. I think it's Piper talks about that. He's like, you know, that they, they see all these blessed, these heavenly blessings, these eternal blessings, and they say, well, no, you can have all that now. And, uh, you know, that was kind of what what uh, some of these guys, I think it was uh, Horton and, and co. on White Horse Inn again were saying that, like if you if what you're preaching isn't making people say, you know, it's not offending them in some way. Like the gospel mm-hmm. is offensive. Mm-hmm. The the idea that we're sinners and that we are we're against the creator of heaven and earth and we deserve wrath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that not only that, but the law can't save us, that our ingrained moral sense of right and wrong isn't enough. Uh yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, I had this a very similar conversation the other day when I was talking about the gospel and how it's mm. offensive, but I'm just thinking uh, the, the difference between the way that you and I explain things and just the difference <laughs> in our personalities. Sure. The way you said it was so graceful, it almost sounded nice. And I'm like, <laughs> and I, when I was talking to my friend, I was like, no, it's offensive when you say someone is damned and they're going to burn in hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just a very different sure. way to phrase it, but it's sure. true nonetheless. But yeah. it's just, it's just, it made me laugh. The juxtaposition there. <laughs> no, but what's, that's, yeah. It's what's the more, of, what's the more offensive part, Justin, do you think telling someone that they're damned and they're going to burn in hell or that they can't do anything about it, but that it's God's sovereign purview mm. to yes. give them grace or not? What well, is I, guess, I guess that depends on. That. I guess that depends if I'm talking to a Christian or not. <laughs> right, right. And that was that was. Uh, I keep coming back to this. I was listening to it while I was doing some chore, like cleaning around the house, and we were building a fire pit in the backyard. But um, <clears throat> one of the things they said that was so good was looking at, uh, you know, looking at Romans nine, looking in Paul's letter, and or and and earlier in the letter where. He anticipates that the response to what he's saying about the gospel of Jesus yeah. Christ, mm-hmm. the response isn't going to be, oh, you're putting all this stuff on us. He's yeah. he's anticipating that the response to his, to what he's preaching is going to be, so are we supposed to sin more? Like he, <laughs> yeah, right. he anticipates yeah. that the response to the, the scandalous grace of God in the gospel mm-hmm. is that people are going to misunderstand their relation to sin and that the critics are going to say he he does this. Yeah. He does the same thing with 
like Eric was just talking about God's sovereignty over the salvation, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, he anticipates the same response. Well, then uh, who can resist God's will? Why yeah. should he find guilt? Right. Mm. Um, who are you? Oh, man, who are you? Oh, man, to God. answer back to God. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, shall, shall the shall, shall the clay say to the potter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't make me like this. I mean, but that, honestly, that's Job. Go back to yeah. look, look at Job, you know, uh, who who is who has given to God that God should repay? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, exegesis. When you look at the scriptures redemptively from beginning to, to end, I mean, it's just repugnant with God's sovereignty. You know what I mean? It's it's chock full of it. Well, in exegesis, that brings up another important principle too. That when when you look at um, see this this fits perfectly between special revelation and doctrine of scripture. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> sovereignty of God. When you look at, um, you know, the, the scripture does contain truth, but at the same time, like Satan, Satan's words are recorded in scripture yeah. and they're mm-hmm. blatant, rebellious lies. Job's yeah. comforters say some things that are true, but they also say some really sketchy, you know, mm-hmm. errant things. Yeah. And so while the scripture, so again, it's like that context, you have to understand the flow. That reminds me of a, a you've probably seen <laughs> yeah. the meme before, but it's like a little, uh, it's like, you know, those little calendars where you flip, rip off the day every day at work and it's yeah. got a different <laughs> quote on it. It's got like, bow down to me and this will all be yours. It's oh, like yeah, yeah. from Luke, but it's Satan. And it's like yeah. much less inspirational it's, if you know who said it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know, I know the meme you're talking about, yeah. but so if somebody good. listening to this doesn't know. Exactly. It just, it's hard. You can't explain a meme. It's just yeah. not as funny. Well, we, we can try. <laughs> we well, try it all the time. So that kind of speaks me to a, <laughs> a secondary question of, I know for you, it was, it was a kind of a different journey than like what Justin and I particularly uh, went on and what a lot of my friends have gone on specifically. Um, <laughs> see what you did there. But how, uh, so I know a lot of people in our kind of new wave of Calvinism, you know, the last mm-hmm. 10 years, basically last 10 or 15, um, kind of went through the cage and cage stage, so to speak, where they were like so aggressive about the doctrines of grace. Um, but there was, at least for me, there was a journey between, you know, starting in, you know, five point Calvinism and like resisting that, then the sovereignty of God in general and, and Providence. But there's also, I mean, for me anyways, there was a journey to um, confessionalism and to seeing the mm-hmm. value in reformed confessions and, and to being in those streams of historic Christianity. But did you experience that or was it kind of all, together for you what, what what was that like for your uh, it, journey it it happened pretty quickly it wasn't necessarily all together um sure. i would say uh, um covenantalism came pretty quickly after yeah. because i was you know who i was listening to who i was reading at the time <laughs> um and it just it snaps into place because that really is the reformed way of understanding scriptures yeah. as far as confessionalism that um uh, Man, I'm trying to think of, I don't know, I can't remember the exact year, but it wasn't too far after that. Um, Because again, you start reading books by certain people. And and I used to read a lot more, but my kids are older. And every time I try to sit down and read, I fall asleep halfway through like (laughs) one page. Um, You know, you start reading all these books and and they start quoting these confessions. You're like, well, what what are these things? Okay, I want to, I want to pick these up and read them. And um, so it came, it came pretty quickly after I'd say for me, but yet it yeah. is, a, it's definitely a journey. I'd say the yeah. Calvinism, the three, you know, the three C's Calvinism, covenantalism, confessionalism, sure. You know, usually starts with the Calvinism craft, it, you know, works Beer. down and, <laughs> you know, and even, even confessionalism, like, you know, I'm not going to 
Yeah. You know, say that that's the only way to understand. Like, you know, sure. I, I appreciate the second London confession. I would affirm pretty much all of it, but there's one or two, maybe two, one major exception that I take with one paragraph in one of the chapters. Sure. Um, and so that's, <laughs> that's a subject for another time, gentlemen. Hey, hey you know what though? You're, but, not, um, you're not entirely alone. I, I, no, I would find it interesting. I'd find it interesting if it was even the same paragraph. You know well, what? Let's put let's it this do way. that in patron overtime. The, the American Presbyterians, they sure. took issue with the original Westminster confession yeah. and they made changes to it. So, so there's yeah. a long history of the reformed church. So you're um, saying we need a third Baptist confession. No, 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 <laughs> no but I mean, that'd be fun. You want to start one with me, buddy? Let's, let's go. do it. Let's do it. Did we start a cult? I don't know. <laughs> Is this how cults are started over zoom and whiskey? Whiskey and zoom and theology. Maybe the they no, 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 we haven't, I don't know. We haven't had enough eschatology yet to start a cult. Ah, ah, <laughs> the teetotalers were right all along. Are you sure about that? Yeah, but you know, there's there's a long history of of yeah. since the confessions were written, you know, wise sure. men and wise denominations and other churches taking certain exceptions. But yeah, for the most part, man, they're they're these little beautifully written, concise, systematic theologies. Mm-hmm. Our church right now with uh, our men's group, we're walking through the 1689 together uh, with other men in the church. And we're using it as a teaching and, and devotional experience. And, yeah. you know, we don't even have to say, hey, you're learning systematic theology while you're doing it. But they are. We yeah. all are. So yeah. it's uh, they're just they're great. They're beautiful, um, concise. It's, yeah. you know, you don't have to pick up uh, Burkoff even, let alone Bavink. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's much more compact than that, yet so yeah. rich. Yeah. One to that as well, like then you have something like the Heidelberg Catechism that is like one of the most pastoral and comforting document like christian documents i've ever read i mean mm-hmm. the first lo- the first question answer is what is your only comfort mm-hmm. in life and death that i am not my own oh. but belong both mm. body and soul life and death to jesus christ yeah bro i think i had so that good. all memorized at one point i could i could struggle through it but i'm not going to do it right now yeah, yeah but that's <laughs> so good that's a, that's a, it's so have beautiful you, have you yeah. seen the um the Orthodox Catechism as well. Yeah, Hercules Collins. Yeah, yeah it's the so Baptist good. version. I prefer it's that so, one, obviously. Yeah, we, we do, but it's really good. They're both brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 basically the Heidelberg that Hercules yep. Collins With took Baptist and, and, and and he baptized it. He, he took it and he baptized it. So this is yeah. a good pun. I got to give credit. That was a good. That was a good, uh, was a good dad joke. Well, that actually. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, like that. that's a. That's a decent place to to wrap up the main discussion for the podcast. So, Eric, thank you so much for coming on and spending some more time with uh, us two goofballs and sipping yep. some whiskey with us. Thanks for having me, man. It's it was been a joy. Fun. Justin, what do we have coming up next week? Oh, well, let's take a peek. Uh, well, we're going to be talking about uh, the doctrine of Scripture. So following up from Special Revelation, we talked about... Um, what special revelation is, uh, primarily scripture, but not totally entirely, um, historically speaking. Um, but then uh, we're going to be talking about scripture. What, what is scripture? Um, tell us about scripture. So I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah. Obviously, as reformers, we love sola scriptura. Uh, mm. I would also affirm tota scriptura as well. Um, so I'm really, really excited to talk about that next week. Uh, and we're going to be re- uh, sipping um, another new spirit that we haven't sipped on the show yet before. Dun, dun, um, dun. Yeah, we had rum, and I loved rum, and so I bought rum, and that's all I've sipped. This is the first non-rum that I've had in 
two weeks. Um, so I'm, um, That's awesome. I'm really excited to try this. Uh, we're going to be uh, Coswald's London Dry Gin, which uh, was voted on by our patrons. Um, which, hey, shout oh, out. Gross. You should. <laughs> gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not a gin guy, but you know what? Yeah, right. I just, you know, I won't be here drinking. You know what? Guys. I so don't you guys enjoy it. So. <laughs> you know, um, it's an acquired taste. It, it is. And I didn't like gin initially. It grew on me with time. Like mold. Predominantly. <laughs> predom- well, like, like Calvinism, right? It, it grew on me. I, as I started How to examine, dare you. do not compare. Don't compare gin to Calvinism. <laughs> oh, I'm getting spicy. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to be tasting uh, Cotswolds Dry Gin. It is one that I used to use uh, a lot for mixing cocktails at the Speakeasy Bar yeah. that I used to work at, and it's one I enjoy sipping neat. Um, not all gins, but that one in particular I, I enjoy. So that's super cool. Uh, if you want to get more exciting content, get episodes before they're released, and uh, vote get, on our spirits that we're going to be drinking. Get to vote on what we're tasting next. Check out our Patreon for $3.99 a month. You can join. Get all this and more. Uh, This episode was up at least a week before uh, it was released. And also we're going to start like kind of letting the front and the back end of the episodes breathe a little bit on Patreon. So if you want to hear us get a little bit more into which uh, articles Justin takes takes, uh, exception with, join our patron. Yeah, yeah, really. (laughs) But but seriously. uh, And Justin, how can people get in touch with us? How can they uh, follow this exciting adventure of distilling Yeah, so uh, Blake's personal cell phone number is... Whoa! (laughs) Uh, Check us out on Facebook. uh, Search for Distilling Theology. You will see a page that you can like. And we highly recommend you do that, but then also join our group. Uh, we have a Facebook group, um, which is a whole lot of fun. Um, a lot of good content going on there, um, as well as our Instagram. Uh, check out Distilling Theology on there. We have some literally lit posts. Uh, <laughs> they are awesome. True. True. And uh, yeah, so like us on there. Um, what did, did we just like cross over? What was it 700 people on Instagram? Something yeah, like, that? like I just I don't know when that happened, but it's yeah. uh, it's great. And it's been it's fun. Great. And also, if you have cool shots of uh, sp- distilled spirits, cocktails, yeah. beer, whatever, and theology books, your Bible, like tag hashtag distilling theology and, and tag us in the post and maybe we'll we'll repost it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this has been a blast. Um, join us next week for, again, Doctrine of Scripture, Cotswolds Dry Gin, and Justin, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs>